Tuesday, February 28th marks one year since we launched the DSR Daily Brief. We're showing our thanks by providing you with our best sale price ever on membership. Through the end of March, visit the dsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a one-time only offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DAILYBRIEF to receive 50% off. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from spring-like Washington, D.C. I am joined today by our usual gang of ne'er-do-wells, Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law School. How are you doing, Rosa? Hi, David. I'm well, thank you. It's not just spring-like, it's actually spring. Oh, yeah. No, that's a really good point. Corey Shockey of the American <laughs> Enterprise Institute. Yes. Spring hat gesprungen here in Washington. Gesprungen. Yeah, it's gesprungen. And uh, Edward Luce of the Financial Times. Good to see you. Good to see you. And at some point, uh, as often happens in these podcasts, David Sanger will... Uh, uh, quite possibly make his way into this discussion. Um, uh, what I wanted to talk about today uh, is something that's happening today, which is the Democracy Summit, or Summit for Democracies, as I think they're calling it, which is prepositionally quite peculiar. But let's leave that aside for a moment. Um, the President of the United States said just now, moments before we began this podcast, that democracies are in good shape getting stronger all around the world. Yay. What do you think? Yay, it's great. It's fantastic news. Um, I, I, you, I wouldn't have known if he hadn't said that, so no, I'm really glad well, he says that. So. It could be true because it's not true. Anyway, um, uh, Ed Luce has written an insightful column, as he does on most subjects. Well done, Ed Luce. Um, so maybe we'll start with you. What about it, Ed? Um, I think Biden's heart is in the right place, you know, I, and I agree with him. Democracy is good, and I agree with him that countries, even adversaries that are democracies, are less likely to be adversarial. And so I applaud the aim and the intention of encouraging um, democracy. Um, but I do think that this prepositionally challenging um, summit for democracy is um, at, at, at best neutral to sort of empty and at worst actually very awkward um, and uh, risks sort of highlighting a the kinds of inaccuracies that were in the comment you just quoted from Biden just now democracy is not on the advance around the world there is I think 
you know, a, lo a, lot of, a lot of political science behind this term democratic recession. And um, I quote the VDEM, the Swedish Institute um, that monitors democracy, um, along with Freedom House. It's one of the, the leading ones in the world. Um, and it agrees with Free Freedom House. Its estimate is that 72% of the world's people now live in autocracies. Um, and that's up from 46% of the world's people in 2012. That's just a decade. And that's about a quarter of the world's population. And it doesn't include <clears throat> some of the uh, quotation marks democracies that have been invited to this virtual summit for democracy, um, such as India, which I think it's fair to say is no longer just an illiberal democracy. I think now with, with uh, the decision on a completely trumped up charge to jail Rahul Gandhi, the only serious, the only credible opposition um, leader, um, puts India more in, into the category of emerging authoritarian. And so, you know, this isn't a good time for democracy. And therefore, the question is, what do you do to advance democracy? And I, I think, at the very least, there are better ways of doing it than holding a summit with all kinds of questionable guests. Yeah, no, no, uh, no doubt. Corey, I'd love to hear your comments and uh, you know, uh, perhaps you wish to cite the retreat of Western liberalism, a classic of the genre written, I don't know, six years ago, Ed, was it six years ago? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm a victim here of too much generosity. I'm, I'm not going to be able to repay it. All right. Well, Rosa, work on a way that we can take some of it back, but uh, Corey first. <laughs> okay. How come Rosa gets to do that? Okay. Go uh, ahead. Why didn't you turn to me? Go, go ahead. Have at it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I sadly, I agree with everything Ed just said. And it only kind of makes it worse that. The first democracy summit uh, a year ago outlined this last year as the year of executing big plans and has achieved nothing near as I can tell. Um, so, so it is, it's not only embarrassing that the president is, is, you know, Remember that great line from the Bob Dylan album, Modern Times, where he's, he comments, if I say it, it must be true. It's actually not good for the president of the United States politically to be saying something so obviously untrue. It discredits the president and we need the president credible for lots of important things. Um, so, so I wish he hadn't done that. I also wish he hadn't held the summit for democracy. Um, and it's going to be really weird for the administration to be criticizing an Israeli government that's participating in the summit for democracy. Let me just also rush to say, uh, I think democracy is a great thing. I also believe the ideology that democratic states are safer, better governed, better for the international order. And uh, here's my gift to the deep state nerds listening, since um, you guys hung in there with me last week when I was on an airplane uh, and in an airport. My gift to you is your ability, 
which should also, which should already be quite substantial since you're deep state radio nerds, to bring a dinner party to a screeching halt. Um, here's the latest way for us all to do that, which is to say the only war fought between two democratic states, 1973, Great Britain and Iceland, the Cod War, seven shots fired before Britain capitulates to Iceland's demands. Democratic states are incredibly, we're violent in the international order because we fight about people having rights and loaning them ways to government and the shape of the order. I'm not hearing nearly enough of that stuff out of the summit for democracies. And it's probably net uh, damaging to the president to have done it. Yeah, so Rosa, you know, it brings up one of those things, you know, this is well-intentioned, you know, having a summit of democracies, promoting democracy, democracy is a good thing. It's a lot like diet and exercise, you know, it works. It's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good idea. But the problem is you actually have to do it. Then you have to decide who's going to go and what you're going to talk about. And if you want to do more than one of them, you have to decide what the outcome is going to be. And, and this idea seems to be suffering on all those fronts. Well, David, I want to speak out in favor of the preposition for. Uh, I, I actually, and I, I wonder how much fighting there was in the White House. Classic the Rosa. Or, or yeah. of. Because summit of democracies implies that everyone present is a democracy. Summit for democracies implies something a little bit more aspirational, like it would be nice if you were all democracies now, wouldn't it? Um, so I think for is the more uh, appropriate uh, word than of, um, because certainly not all of the attendees are at least fully democratic. Um, some of them are, are engaged in rapid backsliding, Israel being being case in point. Um, although although we seem to have a temporary victor over the victory over the forces of evil, insofar as Netanyahu has has had to at least temporarily postpone. Uh, some of his sinister plans to destroy democracy, which is uh, every month counts, so we're happy about that. But, but no, I, I mean, I, so I do think it's aspirational. That being said, I, I actually am inclined to agree with, with Corey that in some ways this arguably does more harm than good. I mean, I think, I think the, the problem is even, even if you say, oh, but we said for, not of, everybody immediately starts looking and saying, well, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, all these people you invited... They're not all democracies. And then some of the people you didn't invite say, well, we're no less democratic than some of the people you did invite. And then everybody's fighting over who's there, um, which totally detracts from, you know, the more interesting question, which is what, if anything, can be done to shore up failing democracies? And, and frankly, you know, the U.S. is a pretty fragile democracy at the moment, too. You know, so it turns everybody's attention to various inadequacies and hypocrisies rather than focusing people's attention where it should be on, you know, what can we do? Is there anything that can be done to shore up democracies? And that may have as much to do, needless to say, with civil society organizations in various countries that are, are fragile democracies, failing democracies, or, or autocracies, uh, as it does have with, with governments. Um, so I, you know, I do, I do think that it's a nice idea, but once you find yourself fighting over who labeling and and who should be invited and so on, you're you're in the wrong terrain, uh, and it's a shame you actually miss an opportunity to do something good. Yeah, and that seems to be what people talk about before this all started. They were saying, "Well, look, Turkey's not invited, Hungary's not invited." That sends an important message. 
But now they're saying, well, look, Israel was invited. Mexico was invited. India was invited. That's confusing. But Ed, let me take one particular case. Let me take the case um, of Israel. Prime Minister of Israel spoke via remote to this. And he said, you know, we're a democracy and our relationship with the U.S. is just great. Um, Meanwhile, at the same time, we were learning that the White House uh, was very strong with them about having to put this judicial reform on hold. Uh, And President Biden made a strong statement, uh, and I think completely appropriate, saying, you know, we Israel can't go down this road and we will not be inviting the prime minister of Israel to the White House anytime soon, um, which for Israeli prime ministers is a big deal because it's kind of the certification of their election or the celebration of their elections going on for decades now. Um, now, you could say this is the perfect balance. We've given them a chance to speak remotely, but we don't invite them here. We allow them to say positive things, but um, we say negative things because they're doing bad stuff. Or you could say, this is real confusing. What do you say? Yeah, I'd say it's real confusing. I'd just like to to suggest a different preposition, by the way. Uh, I'd like to call it the summit with democracies. You know, you you like you have a gala evening with Frank Sinatra or something. It's like, this is a gala evening and there is going to be at least one democracy there. That would that would um, clear up the confusion, um, but um, Israel, Israel um, I, I think, um, needs support. Half of Israel, at least, you know, including its powerless president, Isaac Herzog, including you know its reservists and a lot of its military, you know, who understand that one of the motives in this coalition government that this far-right coalition government that Netanyahu leads, one of the motives of gutting the court is to protect the religious orthodox community, growing religious orthodox population's exemption from military service, um, therefore putting a greater and greater burden on secular Israel to defend the country. Um, that, uh, And then, of course, you've got the Ben Gavir sort of wing, the, the ultra-nationalist um, you know, wanting to remove any legal impediments to um, further encroachments on the West Bank, etc. Um, I, I think that I can understand why there would be a debate in the White House about keeping some um, olive branch in one hand, you know, with, with, with uh, whatever, a middle finger coming from the other uh, to Netanyahu, but a larger sort of Israel, we're with you the real Israel is a democracy. I can understand that, but it is confusing. I mean, Gavir has been given the um, control of the National Guard through the Interior Ministry. This guy is sort of a borderline racist, not borderline. He's, he's not a borderline. He's been convicted three times of supporting terrorism. I mean, this is like putting David Duke in charge of border security. Uh, you know, the, the, this is this is extreme. And deeply worrying and that's why Israelis are prepared to you know go on strike refuse to turn up for military service uh, ground the airport um, university shut down and it's clear um, it's clear that they they understand in a way that's not been true at any moment previously in its 75 years of history this is this is existential 
um, and we've got to find a way of supporting them. You know, Corey, that's the thing about video. I get to watch you guys react. And you were making some faces there. Why? Um, I was not uh, making faces in disagreement with Ed's comments. I was making faces, um, sorrowful faces about the great state of Israel putting a racist in charge of um, uh, security that way. Um, because, and um, making faces of interest and support for Ed's very good suggestion that we need to find ways to support democratic forces in Israel. And then I was just pondering, would that help or hurt uh, what Netanyahu and his government are attempting to do to have external voices raised? And um, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, no doubt. It's it's not going to look good, Rosa, if, as many Israelis suspect, you know, Netanyahu's just back at it in a month. Uh, and, uh, you know, mo you know, there was a good piece by our friend Alon Pickus in Haaretz today, which essentially said nobody trusts Bibi and and they expect he's going to go back at it. But, you know, giving uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir his own militia uh, which is going to focus on Palestinian versus uh, Israeli crime uh, and crimes within the territories is a formula for catastrophe. I mean, we have to remember that gutting the judiciary is not the only problem Israel has with democracy at the moment. Uh, it seems to me that this is a looming um, uh, nightmare for the Biden foreign policy team. Yes, yes, on all all of the things you just said. I mean, what could go wrong with a with a militia, right? I mean, we've just had such great experiences with uh, border vigilantes here in the U.S. Um, no, I mean it's 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 appalling. It's it's almost guaranteed to create some kind of crisis, new crisis, additional crisis when this militia kills a bunch of people and their families and so forth. Um, that being said, I think Netanyahu is being clever by postponing these changes in the judiciary for a month because he's calculating, and unfortunately history suggests quite possibly correctly, that the attention span of most people is pretty short, um, that everybody kind of now breathes a sigh of relief and we say, oh good, you know, so he's, he's back down. And all the protesters go back home and everybody says we don't need to worry about this at least for a little while and then when he comes right back in a month and says okay you know now i'm going ahead there's just that much less energy because people do you know people get tired that whole eternal vigilance thing that's the price of liberty it's very exhausting to be eternally vigilant and people don't like it and they have jobs and they have families and they've got other stuff they have to do it's extremely hard to sustain protest movements for long periods of time and when governments make what seem like concessions, even when they're false concessions and temporary concessions, it can really take the wind out of the sails of protest movements. And I think that's what he's banking on. I think he's figuring, you know, by the time a month has passed, uh, you know, some of the, the energy in the protest movement will have dissipated and I'll be able to push this back through. And that's a real danger. Um, is, this, is this a real foreign policy conundrum for the United States? 
Yeah, it's a huge headache um, because we've had for decades now, we've had American politicians outdoing themselves to explain how how mindlessly pro-Israeli government they are. Um, and, you know, having having sort of backed ourselves into that corner and empowered the far right in Israel, empowered Netanyahu for so many years, um, we're now kind of in a bind. It also, I, I was quite uh, uh, struck by something that uh, your friend Alon Pincus said in one of our previous podcasts when I, I asked him the question, well, gee, the Israeli government seems to be losing an entire generation of uh, younger Amer- Jewish Americans. Um, and, and I said, do they just not care? And he said, yeah, they don't care because, you know, Netanyahu really could care less about Judaism in any form. He cares about power. He cares about himself. Um, uh, he has no actual interest, as far as anyone can tell, in, you know, the Jewish diaspora or, or anything to do with it. And, and he said, you know, look, they've got the right-wing evangelicals in their corner, and there are a whole lot more of them than there are Jewish Americans, frankly. And unfortunately, um, while younger Jewish Americans, by and large, are politically fairly progressive and pro-democracy, uh, right-wing evangelical Americans, by and large, are not. You know, so I don't think I don't think Netanyahu really cares what Biden thinks. I don't think he really cares what Jewish American thinks. Jewish Americans think. I think he I think he figures correctly that he has enough support on amongst American in the American right amongst evangelicals in particular. Uh, that nothing is going to change. The U.S. may make noises, but we're not going to do anything. And the people who are upset about what he's doing are not powerful enough to, to do anything to really change anything. And he's probably right. Well, let me pick up on a couple of those points, just to, just to add something. One is, um, uh, you know, you're right about the evangelicals, and that was demonstrated just today when Ron DeSantis said, oh, I'm going to Israel because we have unnecessary tension with Israel now. And essentially, so he's going to go next month and give Bibi a, a big hug. Um, uh, secondly, in terms of timing, it is going to be a bit awkward for the United States if Bibi waits a month or two months. And in the intervening period, Georgia passes a law which says uh, that the legislature can fire district attorneys um, uh, in order to get them off of the back of former presidents. Uh, and then they do that. In other words, if our judiciary stops being quite, uh, or our prosecutors become uh, less independent than they are uh, and more subject to political whims, that's that's not going to be a very good thing either. Uh, Ed, you mentioned India earlier, where you are a great expert. Uh, but let me turn you to another place Um uh, that is also subject to some question here. Um, after decades and decades of one-party rule, Mexico instituted um, uh, an electoral oversight commission, uh, which was designed to uh, uh, make elections fairer, and it produced uh, elections in which the the PRI, the the the, the one party that dominated for all those years. Uh, uh, had competition and, and didn't actually win. But now the current president, in an effort to maintain his power over that country for the foreseeable future, has sought to, has eliminated that uh, a body. Uh, and uh, it looks like he's going to be able to sort of impose his will, even if he has the current mayor of Mexico City run as a surrogate. Um, 
and Mexico is going to become less democratic. And they're right there in the middle of this thing. Uh, and it poses another of the problems of hosting events like this, because we need Mexico's cooperation on the border. Uh, and so publicly embarrassing them about the fact that they're not a democracy um, is difficult. How, you know, what, what do you think of that challenge? It's a very difficult challenge. I mean, um, uh, which, again, you know, would be solved by not having a democracy summit. I mean, Mexico's problems wouldn't be solved, but America's embarrassments would be. Um, uh, Obrador is a reminder, AMLO is a reminder that, um, you know, the populism isn't just a right-wing phenomenon. It can come from the left, and particularly in Latin America, in fact. Um, and, uh, you know, that the way of moving from democracy to autocracy um, nowadays tends to be via uh, outward, outward appearances, legal forms, as opposed to coups, more old-fashioned 20th century coups. There are far fewer of those around. Um, there are far more sort of... Um, sort of Orban, Modi, um, Erdogan, and now Obrador-style, just gradual, incremental gutting of the checks and balances and the independence of the judiciary and the probity of the media and the independence of the NGO, civil, civil society. And Obrador's move to, to basically dis defang, to disable this um, election commission, um, is a very good example of that, uh, which poses the question, you know, what can America do about it? Um, and I think it's very, very difficult to do, to do direct things about it with big countries like Mexico. It's much easier to incentivize small countries. That's just a sort of function of size. But my sort of grander theme, uh, and I know it's, it's much easier to delineate than it is to do anything about it, but my grander theme... Um, is that the Ukraine war has really highlighted that there is such a thing as a global south. Um, and China has been aware of this global south um, and has been you know, investing to some good and bad effects, huge amounts of money in large parts of the developing world um, to extend its exhaust resource extraction sort of model um, but as a byproduct, creating infrastructure, helping electrification, you know, and, and, and some things that those countries might want. Um, I think we lack an approach to the global south, and I think we need an approach to the global south. And I think the more we engage in their needs, um, which you know aren't necessarily um, going to be cheap needs, um, but they're not necessarily going to be loss-making ones either, the more we can find new models that transcend the old sort of Bretton Woods World Bank approach of um, responding to these deep infrastructural, um, healthcare, um, uh, standards of living needs of the developing world um, and help stem migration from them, the more I think we'll find people turning to democracy. Um, well, but, but, but I think there's an interesting question implicit in that. Um, because going back to the Biden statement, um, we only have a couple minutes here, but going back to the Biden statement that, you know, democracy is is stronger. I think if you were doing an objective analysis, you would say um, that uh, the movement against democracy is what's really gained uh, ground. And, and whether it's uh, Orban or Erdogan or Modi or uh, AMLO or 
um, what was going on in Brazil. You know, we, we can identify a large number of cases where there has been backsliding, including here in the United States. And, um, uh, you know, this seems to be associated not just with a push of Putin's, but with a push, push of Xi Jinping's to essentially say, you know, this, this U.S.-defined international order is not the only way. This is what you were talking about with regard to the global South. And that, in fact, you know, you know, we can debate democracy. And really, the question is, how democratic is democratic enough? You know, how much, you know, do you get to call yourself sort of democratic? I mean, Putin's going to be up for election. Is that a democracy? Um, uh, you know, and and they're essentially seeking their saying Biden is saying it's democracy versus autocracy. Um, but China and Putin and these other states are saying it's a debate over what the definition of democracy is. What, what do you say, Corey? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, David, that um, first of all, uh, democracies should take it as a compliment that everybody's trying to pretend they're a democracy. But second, this goes back to Ed's original criticism of the summit for democracy. The fact that, um, you know, who's, who counts and who doesn't, uh, that we can't actually define it in ways that align with who counts and who doesn't, leaves them latitude for that. And as Rosa pointed out, you know, the fact that, that part of their argument is, look at how disruptive and disputatious and dangerous the United States looks right now. Um, we can give you the positive aspects of democracy while also precluding that kind of insecurity, upheaval, um, and potential violence. Yeah. Which brings me to the final word, you know, Rosa. I've looked at a number of prepositions here, uh, and and that and and you know, could be the summit aboard democracies. Over. It could be the summit around democracies. Uh, could it be could the also summit. be the title of Frank Fukuyama's book, "The End of History and the Last Man," because people always criticize the end of history part, and they leave off the fact that he thought the real danger to freedom was apathetic people living in freedom. Well, that's that's another one. It's not exactly a preposition, but I get your point. Um, <laughs> it could be the summit underneath democracies, the summit toward democracies. We could have conjunctions. We could just have summit and democracies. Or <laughs> summit and or democracy. And or. Yeah. <laughs> or, right, I'm the still, summit. I still think we should have a gala evening you know, with democracy. And at some point after dessert, you know, the, the curtains will part and the microphone will be teed up and democracy will come on and sing a beautiful song. Or we can take a page out of the FDA's book as they define things like cheese whiz. It's not actually cheese, it's cheese product. The summit <laughs> with democracy <laughs> product. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like democracy tastes a bit like democracy and yet it's not but it's yeah. so much more convenient than democracy 
Right, exactly. Somewhat less nutritious, but more more filling. Yes. Oh, you remember, you remember that margarine they launched? I don't know whether it was launched here, in, but in the 1990s in England, they launched a margarine that tasted a lot like butter, and it was called... I can't believe it's not butter. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It was in a parquet and then in the ad. Yeah, although in this case, it would be kind of, I can't believe it's democracy. Because yeah. um, it's not. Well, guys, this has been extremely well, useful. This has been very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. And um, we'll be back next week and we'll be talking about more enjoyable things with the same old crew. Uh, for now, thank you, Rosa. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Corey. Uh, thank you, David Sanger, wherever you were. You didn't come, but we, uh, you know. Well, no you. thanks to you, David Sanger. Yeah, what the Why heck? are we thanking him? What a yeah, well, yeah. Oh, I was just being And for David. You know, we got more of these interesting podcasts coming. So, you know, listen, go to the dsrnetwork.com to listen to them. And while you're there, become a member clicking on membership. For now, thanks to all of you. And we'll be back again soon.